0: Uh, we were struggling to figure out how were we actually growing, like what was actually driving the business forward, both at, say, a strategic level. So we had this mix of uh, marketing, sales, and product. What was actually the successful drivers of the business? And if you asked in the management meetings, like, okay, what's driving the business, there was like zero uh, agreement on it.
1: This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Arman Schrocki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve. A. The modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.
2: Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. Uh, I'm pleased to have Lars at uh, Dream Data. Um, And uh, we are going to talk about the marketing data. We are going to talk about the business, the way, um, you know, he has started uh, as CEO and co-founder at the company. And uh, maybe if you get a chance, uh, we can talk about um, the software ecosystem and startup ecosystem in Denmark a little bit uh where his company is located uh, in and uh so great discussion stay with us and uh, lars uh, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us
0: thank you amen i'm really looking forward to the conversation today
2: great uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also uh we would like to know a little bit about the company how you started
0: Yeah. So my name is Lars. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Dream Data. And as you said, it's based in Copenhagen, Denmark, so uh, quite far away from probably a lot of listeners. Um, So myself, I come from a product background. Uh, Most recently, I was at a company called Trustpilot, which is a Copenhagen based uh, unicorn, also a SaaS company. Uh, where I led product and I was leading product together with one of my co-founders who's called Ole and he was then the sort of tech uh, engineering uh, side of the dynamic duo at, at Trustpilot. Yeah. So that's my background. Um, Dream Data, uh, as a company came out of um, experiences that we, Ole and I, had at Trustpilot around go-to-market. So basically we had I would say a fairly standard setup around go-to-market. Um, it was a SaaS company. Uh, we were, you know, we had salespeople, we had marketing. We also had product-led growth. We were maybe a little bit ahead of the curve there. Uh, so, you know, basically in a, in a go-to-market system, that means you have a lot of tracking data. You have uh, a CRM system full of opportunities and contacts and accounts <laughs> and activities, and you have uh, like a marketing automation system. And you're spending, you know, millions of dollars on on advertising on you know all the venture dollars they always they, they always seek back to Google. So a lot of money going back to Google through Google Ads and to LinkedIn, etc. So very standard setup. And still um, we were struggling to figure out how we, we were doing really well. It was sort of a super healthy business growing really well. But we were struggling to figure out how were we actually growing, like what was actually driving the business forward, both at, say, a strategic level. So we had this mix of uh, marketing, sales, and product. What was actually mm-hmm. the successful drivers of the business? And if you asked in the management meetings, so like, okay, what's driving the business, there was, like, zero uh, agreement on it. Um, and But also at a more tactical level, like uh, we had a free product, which features in the free product were actually driving successful business or we were spending lots of dollars in marketing, which campaigns were driving successful outcomes. Um, So pretty weird, like standard data set, uh, but uh, no answers. And we went sort of looking for a product that could help us fix this, something that would just Magically connect our data sources and give us the answers we were looking for, and uh, we found that it didn't exist. Um, so, you know, we are tech and product people, so we went to work and did sort of a big internal project and solved it. But like you that, obviously,
2: you obviously uh, dreamed just, about it a lot. I think you obviously yeah, dreamed about that data think, a lot.
0: Uh, <laughs> it was. It was definitely, I I think that was where the name came from because it was like, what what do we really want? This is what we want. And that's where (laughs) the the project came from. Um, And the thesis basically was that this could be a product that even though it was a lot of hard work to build these data models, you could actually build something that would work for uh, B2B companies out there. I think it was very, if you're thinking about go-to-market in, business to consumer world that is heavily automated. Like Amazon doesn't employ a million salespeople to sell <laughs> all the stuff that they sell. So it's a very automated go to market. But in B2B, that automate like automation of go to market is just happening now. And the um the the systems and products that exist in, in business to consumer are not super well suited for business to business because of, you know, the business to business context is different. You have buying committees and you have legal negotiations and you have long sales cycles and, um, you have people changing jobs and lots of things that are very different in business to business relative to business to consumer. And that means that you need some kind of a different solution for it. And the thesis was, okay, you, we could build that product and that's what we set out to do then.
2: Fantastic. So, uh, do you uh, you mention a number of names that, of course, are the most common tools in the market, like, for example, HubSpot on the marketing, like Salesforce on the sales part, uh, like placing ads, adwords on Google, or working with LinkedIn. Uh, But does your product also work with a variety of other environments? If someone said, "I'm not using HubSpot, actually, I'm using," something else, maybe Marketo, maybe something else, or I'm not using Salesforce, I'm using some other CRMs or these kind of things. How does it work from data point of view and the way you bring data to the system?
0: So, I mean, we are at early stage venture. Uh, we are mm-hmm. four years into the project now, but we yep. do support many other systems than just and just have from Salesforce. So we do support, say, Marketo, or we support ParDOT, uh, we support PipeDrive, Close, Microsoft Good. Dynamics. So we do support. A number of other I think when you build too. products, you, you, yeah, when you build products, you, you, I think just by supporting, say, the Salesforce uh, part, the uh, Marketo part of the ecosystem, that's already a pretty big market. Um, sure. So we are going at the sort of expanding gradually, and we we're, f- we're finding that. You know there are certain systems that we'll meet now and then um, when we're selling where we uh, where we don't support it, uh, and sometimes we decide to build uh, and and then start supporting that product. But we have a fairly good inflow of, of inbound customers that sort of fit within the the tech um, ecosystem that we support. Fantastic. Um, but it is if you compare now, if you compare to something like uh, oh sorry no 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 go ahead sorry if you compare to something like an ETL product uh, where that the business of the company is to do ETL like it could be five trend or it could be segment or another product of course then your job is to move all types of data in the world into. Mm-hmm data warehouse typically, right? Um, But that's not our goal. Our goal is to support sort of, um, you say, early adopters of advanced B2B companies that are doing a marketing that growth motion. We want to support those. And that sort of limits the scope of what we have to support. We don't have to support uh, 50 or 100 uh, integrations. Or if let's say, if you're in the business to consumer space, people are buying ads from like so many different sources. So, you know, in the business to consumer space, there are like ETL tools that are specialized in just ETLing uh, um, advertising data because you need your business. There's like 500 platforms that you need to support. But in business to business, it's more limited.
2: Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think from go-to-market strategy, that's the right way to go, right? So, that definitely your approach is very sound because you wanted to go do 80-20. So if 20% of the systems you support covers 80% of the market size, that's the best place to start. And really that might be great and when, when you start something at the beginning and And that's the right way to do. Now, this is a good segue to jump into the go-to-market strategy and product market fit and those other topics. So um, how do you, based on what you do and also based on your experience, how do you see that you can help with the technology you have developed, companies understand a better product market fit faster? So they can really pass that phase that is the riskiest phase of any startup, software startup, to pass that phase as fast as possible, understand the product fits this market, define their market based on their product very well, and say, we are, we are there, we are out of that dangerous zone. How do you think your yeah. technology you know, can help them to do that fast?
0: I think that's a super good question like how do you how do you do a, an efficient sort of step from I have an idea to I'm at product market fit I will be quite honest and say that maybe our product is not really good at that <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> uh, we are I think our our customer I think it's not that it, we used our product pre-product market fit ourselves and we were happy about using it, but the real sort of power of our product is more at a sort of growth stage or business as usual stage. That's where you really have some, where I think finding product market fit, it's something I'm super passionate about, but I think it is often done through other means, right? It's it's through, I, I think there are one of the things I learned by doing a company over just just doing product management was I learned, and I know lots of product managers probably know this, but I didn't, but I always thought of product market fit as very sort of product oriented. You had mm-hmm. to build a product that would fit with the market. And I think one of the big things I learned was it goes both ways. You build a product, but you also have to figure out what the market is and you can have a really good product. And it has zero product market fit in one market. But if you find the right market, you might have product market fit. So I think that motion of sort of iterating the product to a good product and iterating the market to find the product market fit, I think that is it's super exciting to do. Um, But it's for me, it is a lot of um, qualitative work. It's typically like it's also a lot of sales work is a lot of engaging Mm -hmm. with customers and finding like who will actually pay for this magnificent product that you're building, right? So it's sort of something that has to meet each other.
2: Uh, is uh, Is it true to say, for example, if I'm running different campaigns and I'm targeting with each campaign a different segment of the market, and if I can see my data clearly that which one has a higher return on investment in other way in other words when i put my money in one of these it returns my money faster if i target this part of the market or if i do this positioning or this messaging that's how i thought that if i if i'm using dream data and i'm getting my data analytics faster so it gives me the insight i need it just automatically Not automatically meaning with no effort, but meaning it it helps me to do it faster, right? So, So better understand, oh, okay, this is where I should really put my attention. This is what market tells me that they get a better result from my product than the other part of the market. And I think that's really the part that for most part, many companies, many startups are lacking because either the data doesn't come back to them the way they want or the data comes back when it's too late, and if you get the data back, it takes more than six months, nine months, one year, not useful anymore because then it takes a while for you to change the product, and you cannot afford to really go back and correct it and try again. The cycle has to be much faster in order to be efficient.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think that's a, a fundamental thing. Yeah. And, and, and that's I would say what that I our product your, does
2: help you. Yeah. Your product helps with that. Yeah. Right? The, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Okay. I think one of the, you can say our product has, you can think of it as three layers. There's like a data layer, which is ingesting the data, processing the data, building data models. And that is, of course, super exciting if you're a data person and uh, you can use that data directly. And then we have sort of an analytics layer where you can do analytics on top of the data, figure out what works, what doesn't work, but you're still required to take action yourself. And then we're building sort of a third layer now, which is uh, the direct uh, direct actions on top of the data. So basically it's a little bit similar. If you're in a uh, modern data stack, you'll be using reverse ETL maybe to automate data back. So we're building sort of specific use cases for for reverse ETL, giving audiences back to ad platforms or giving data back to CRM systems so that a salesperson can work
2: faster, like that type of thing. And what combination of uh, customers you have geographically, if you think about, for example, US versus Europe, Is it distributed? Is it the majority of the customers you have are U.S. based or Europeans or mixed?
0: So we have a a nice mix, Uh, U.S. is our biggest market, so it's about a third of our business. Um, Mm. We're from Denmark, so we have this proportion that like Denmark is a very small country, it's like six million people, so we have a disproportionate large share of business that's Danish, but it's still quite small. And then we have sort of rest of Europe. Of course, um, Germany is quite big for us. We have we have targeted companies that um, are like that accept um, an English only version of the product. I think that's been a, a, a fundamental starting point for us. Uh, so that also mm-hmm. sort of it's more of us like a slice in the market um, mm-hmm. that can accept that. Um, but the biggest market for us is definitely the U S and also where we see the biggest growth potential
2: for us. Okay. Fantastic. Um, what do you think would be the next step from your perspective for what you guys do is the next major milestone that you wanted to really accomplish within the product and the strategy or the business?
0: I would say, from a from a product standpoint, um, I'm super excited about feeding data back to platforms. What I was talking mm-hmm. about before, mm-hmm. um, I think some of this is we we are using other products for it ourselves at the moment. We're using a product called High Touch for it. We're super happy about it, but it is very complicated to do. And some of the mm-hmm. use cases, it's a little bit like the whole product. It's very complicated to do, but it's definitely something you can productize if you're sort of Mm -hmm. accepting that you're not going to do reverse ETL for the entire world. You're just going to do it for like a limited set of use cases that are very important to -to go-to-market people. Uh, So building that, I think I'm very excited about. Feeding data back to ad platforms so that they can do better uh, machine learning on top of that data, that's a fundamental thing, or building great audiences that you can, you know, there's a lot of uh, complexity at the moment around sort of um, how can I if somebody's visiting me or I know somebody exists, how can I actually then target them with ads? Um, it's becoming harder and harder um, with sort of changes in technology around cookies, etc. So, so sort of having good ways of building audiences, passing them off to uh, advertising platforms is very interesting. So, th- those are the things I'm very, very excited about, uh, currently
2: now talking about that particular aspect, as you said, um, as we go forward with more, uh, awareness around data and people want to be in control of their own data in early years of internet and web that it was still, you know, that was something that nobody paid attention to it yet. And then it was, as you said, cookies and, you know, the idea that I'm actually generating data and who owns that data. That was not discussed in details. But nowadays, as we go forward and we have more policies, um, in, especially in some states in US, in the US, like California or Europeans are very really aware of that and are passing some kind of regulations and laws in the ultimate solution that really people own their own data and they can really, you know, there's a data privacy and everything. But at the same time, marketers want a system that they can benefit people. So the more intelligent the system of marketing is, the better for consumers would be, rather than I just receive non-related ads, I'd rather to receive some ads that actually I'm interested in and I benefit from and i don't i don't have any intention to increase the marketing budget of the you know the the manufacturer or who, whoever is marketing to me and just that automatically would be added to the cost of the product i'm going to buy and for no good reason i don't want to just cause them to spend more on marketing i rather for them to be a smart and intelligent and responsible so how do you think this will kind of go to get there in a kind of nice middle ground that it doesn't really, you know, if if it's end of cookies, if it's end of, you know, if Apple devices are going to every year be worse and worse from marketers' perspective to really track the viewers and they get no data out of it and at the end of the day, how do you see this will impact the kind of work that you guys do from connecting the data and understanding who's coming from, where, who's spending on what, and then you know, connecting the revenue number and the connecting the, the traffic number and everything together, how does it impact? How do you see it's going? And uh, you know, what is what is your your what is your view in the next five years with regard to those kind of things? Uh, that's a that's a very good question.
0: I think maybe at one end there is sort of a. I feel that there's a differentiation between business to consumer and business to business. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what we see in terms of privacy regulation is coming out of of practices that were happening in the business to consumer space. And basically, you can say, I, I would agree that a lot of advertisers or tech platforms would be overreaching and doing things that were like creepy or not nice to be exposed to. I think the way I think about it, it's a bit like I go down the high street, I go into a shop, uh, I buy a pair of shoes. Um, next day I come back to the same shop and, you know, the guy I bought the shoes from, he comes over and says, Hey, uh remember you bought the shoes yesterday. Are you looking for, I don't know, some a bag to go with those shoes? I don't necessarily feel that that's weird. I think that's good service. It's like, uh, the person, the shop is remembering me and remembers what I did. I think that is for most people, uh, that's good service. I think what gets creepy is if I, you know, uh, the next day I go into another shop, it's completely unrelated. It's actually like a tech shop or whatever, and they say, Hey, um, I know you, were, uh, you, you bought those shoes, but you also looked at this bag. But I actually have a cheaper version of that bag. Do not you want to buy that? I think that's the kind of thing where people yeah. freak out when, when you're sort of like, "How do you know that?" I, I, I don't think that it's natural that you know what I did somewhere completely unrelated. And I think that was basically uh, what was happening uh, in this world of tracking and and retargeting and targeting of of, of consumers. And I think that brought a lot of people to the conclusion that they that they didn't like that. And I kind of understand that the big movement that has been happening in the market to mitigate this, um, and that's maybe the last at least five years or so is like this movement towards first party data, of course, as uh, out on the fringes, there is a bunch of tech giants and also smaller, uh, ad companies that are fighting this wave of of sort of like, I I don't like this. So they're trying to sort of, you know, they're playing catch up against Apple and uh, other uh, tech vendors that are fixing this. But for most people, the solution is first party data. So it's saying, hey, I'm gonna care about the data I have. So I'm going to do my best to remember that you were in my shop yesterday. I'm going to do my best if you told me your name. I'll try to remember it so I can say, "Hey, Armin, <laughs> great use. Um So, first-party data is really the solution for this, and and that's fundamentally what uh, what what you do is you all the data that is in your CRM system, your marketing automation, your tracking that is first-party data. That's data that you, as a company, has generated with your systems and um, and that's the solution. And then, of course, you have to be careful about how you treat that data. Uh, I think there's a very big movement towards thinking a lot about what what actually happens to that data. I remember the bad old days when, you know, if we wanted to try a new go-to-market system in some company, I'm not going to say which, then we would just connect it. We wouldn't really think about okay i'm connecting this go-to-market system that means that now uh, they can see the email addresses of a lot of people and why should they be seeing those right so there is uh, there is a growing sort of awareness in the market that hey we have to take care of people's data um so 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 one end it's like first party data take control of the data you as a company have about your customers, make sure that you know it and you can work with it. And at the same time, let's be careful not to hand it off to someone who we don't know who is, uh, where it's going to disappear. It's fine that you have your CRM system. That's Salesforce. Okay, they're going to have your customer data. That's probably fine. But maybe you don't want to connect some weird system that you don't really know what is, and they can then see all those email addresses, right? That's not
2: okay. That's great. Uh, very good insight. Thank you. Um, now I have a kind of a different topic. I would like to ask that question. Um, uh, we have seen some metropolitan areas, uh, growing at a different pace in a different way pre COVID versus post COVID. For example, I spent two months during the last few months, um, I was in Miami, and that ecosystem is booming, right? Post COVID, um, Miami is booming. It's uh, especially for people in crypto, Web three, virtual reality, maybe even video games. You know that ecosystem is just growing like crazy, growing fast. It's a good ecosystem, uh, and they have access to you know I don't know 15 nations of you know Latin America, and they have access to of course the US and You know canada and everything is a good hop Uh, you see in a different way that also has helped cities like austin texas which i'm right now that has been growing faster post-covid for uh, many reasons especially in SaaS market they are growing very fast amongst other segments that they have done a good job on the contrary you see some areas maybe the growth pattern has changed or is changing And the Bay Area, which I, you know, used to live there for four or five years uh, before. Um, And then uh, you see that post-COVID, it was a different Bay Area and Silicon Valley that it was before COVID. And I think COVID, kind of many people moved out, working remotely. And those kind of in-person gatherings every day, every minute, every hour, all of these software guys, you know, going to those kind of things is happening more Virtually, people are not there anymore. So you see a different kind of pattern is getting shaped over there. How do you see, you know, Copenhagen and Denmark in a kind of software industry and in a kind of a startup? Do you see any changes pre-COVID, post-COVID? How it's shaping? I have heard that this growing market is really a startup friendly kind of environment and many startups are starting there. But how do you see it pre-COVID, post-COVID? How does it do?
0: I, I think a lot of what is changing in 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 Copenhagen is, and that also goes for other, like, tech hubs in, in Europe. At least I think it's more about sort of, um, let's say, funding cycles that you have. Like, in the Bay Area, of course, you have, like, uh, lot, a long history of venture back companies where you have exits and then that sort of spawns an ecosystem. Um, whereas in 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 Denmark, that's something that is happening much later. Um, mm-hmm. And some of what is then creating sort of a, a boom in, in startups and in successful, uh, say, growth stage companies is more, I, I feel it's about... Um, you know, that there's a wave of, of successful startups that spawns sort of a generation of, uh, of, of people coming out of those startups. Maybe they have done well, they have a little bit of, uh, they had some equity so they can afford to go and, you know, work without salary for a while and build a company and that creates uh, a wave. And I think actually like Copenhagen is doing really well now, if you go to Sweden and you look at something like Stockholm. That wave was happening. Yeah, they are sort of—I I can't remember. Like they're maybe on the third wave of this. They had mm-hmm. some earlier successes than Copenhagen, which sort of drove uh, the ecosystem forward faster. Right now, is a really good time. Here we have uh, like a handful of really successful uh, companies and and funding journeys that spawned sort of uh, uh, you know good companies. But it's still like if you compare it to the states, it's 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 on a very small scale but it's, uh, it's good.
2: Okay. Fantastic. That's good to hear. Um, um, so I'm going to ask you also, uh, if you could to introduce, uh, or share with us some of the books that you like, some of the books that you have read and, uh, you thought that those are kind of, you know, the life is not the same after you read that book in comparison to before reading the book some books are like that and has a, they have a very good impact in what you do and maybe the business maybe your life it can be either you know uh, books related to what you do professionally or not is there any anything that comes to your mind and say this is really the kind of book i really liked it
0: I think like one of the most influential books for me has been um, a guy called Marty Kagan, uh, Loved, which is sort of about building tech products. Um, so that has been a very influential book for me, sort of how do you build tech products in like, what is the modern way of building tech products? So I think that that was, that has been sort of a very influential book for me. Um It's not a new book, Uh, I think it's probably, it's more than 10 years old, but it's like, of course there are some new editions of it. So that's a very good book. Um, And and then I would say more recently, also related to what I said around sort of product market fit and the role of finding the market, because that has been maybe the new part of the journey here because we had built products before, but this sort of, how do you match it to the market? Has meant that I have been quite interested in um, in in the marketing side of this. Um, how do you actually sort of define your market? Um, I, I read a book by um, April Dunford called Obviously Awesome, which is about product marketing, and I think that was very exciting for me to read. And I think understanding, um, getting to understand what product marketing is and how insanely important it is in a early stage startup because actually I feel like product marketing is almost like, yeah, next to product, probably it is the most important thing you can be doing because that is figuring out who you're selling to how you're selling. Uh, um, that is that, that, that book
2: I, i really loved. Fantastic. Um, thanks again, Lars for being, a uh, here with us today. I enjoyed the conversation and definitely I will follow you on LinkedIn and I would love to, you know, see how you guys grow and I wish you all the best.
0: Thanks, Armin. I mean, it's been great talking to you and uh, I hope to see you sometime in Copenhagen. (laughs) I I hope
1: so, (laughs) too. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Raghi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sassscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, a, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS the tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.